Go take one last sip of water. <laughs> I realized what you were doing halfway. <laughs> Beautiful. And, and there's our intro. Welcome to Choker Bros, a Final Fantasy podcast. I'm Lewis Penn, and I'm playing most of these games for the first time. And I'm your other host, Preston Doza. I've already played through most of these games over the years. Together, we're going to explore every Final Fantasy until Square Enix stops making these games, which probably won't happen. Every month, like a three-legged turtle on a broken treadmill, I'll delve a little deeper into the Final Fantasy universe. Then we'll talk about the game I'm playing, what worked, what didn't, and what's going on behind the scenes. This episode, we're going to begin our playthrough of the last Final Fantasy originally released for the Famicom, Final Fantasy III. You know, Preston, I remember playing this game when it first came out. It was okay, I guess. Then my initial experience was totally retconned into a real Final Fantasy game, which would have been great if they had also retconned the rest of it. Real Final Fantasy? What, you got a problem with blank characters going on a journey just because? I mean, isn't that just us doing this podcast? Anyway, let's dive into Final Fantasy 3. Okay, Preston, Final Fantasy 3. When did it come out? What do we need to know about this game? So Final Fantasy 3 was originally released on the Famicom on April 27th, 1990. It's the last Final Fantasy game released for the Famicom. was never released in North America or Europe for the NES. This was around the time when Nintendo was launching the Super Nintendo. This was really the first time in game development where there was definitely going to be a new console. And Square, at the time, wasn't sure how the change in technology would work. They didn't really know what to anticipate from it. So they ended up focusing a lot of their time on the Super Nintendo instead of porting over Final Fantasy III. We didn't get it until 2006. I feel like it's important to mention that despite how rudimentary a lot of these games appear, how despite how rudimentary they play... Square was a pretty, like, forward-thinking developer. Yeah, to a degree. Like, I, I, feel, um, I feel like if you look at these games now, it seems like they were just working with what they had. But I get the sense that they were trying to push the envelope a fair bit. Let's be real. No normal developer would completely throw out the plot and, like, a lot of, like, the intricacies of the battle system with each new game. They would have iterated on it. And instead, for the first three Final Fantasies on NES, you've got a really simple turn-based system. You've got the wacko, crazy progression system that was two. And in three, you have the job system, mm-hmm. which isn't the first job system in the JRPG. About two years prior, when Dragon... Dragon Quest 3 was released. That was the first major instance of the job system in the genre. It was rudimentary at the time, and it was very rigid, where basically each character was one class. It took a lot to change jobs, whereas in Final Fantasy 3's job system is, uh, we got you about 20-some-odd classes, and you can just change them whenever. This is a good idea, kind of like the battle system for 2 is. And I actually don't mind the way it was handled, but I I understand there's a lot of backlash over the way it was handled. Not backlash. Not backlash. Just people don't like it. No, people (laughs) did like it, except like half the jobs in the game kind of suck. That's fair. (laughs) Like when you have like 20 some 
odd jobs, I would expect them all to be pretty well designed. As I'm sure you've experienced so far, there are some jobs that are just clearly, clearly not as good. So for for those who aren't sure what the job system means, it means that at any point, you can assign your character a certain job. That means that they can wield certain weapons that are unique to that class. They can use certain armor. And they also have one unique ability for that class. I think that the downfall comes from those unique abilities because some of them aren't actually that helpful and others can be done by other classes. So if you have a job that's focused around, say, detecting um, the, the weakness of an enemy, that sounds really helpful until you realize that there are like three other jobs where it's like a spell. You could, you could do that anyway. So why would you ever play that one class? And then you have classes like Dragoon, which owns like jump is a great ability. Right. It's a lot better than a lot of other physical class abilities. The one really cool thing about the job system is it enables a lot of party compositions that play very differently. So in terms of the actual strategy behind, okay, we have to do this, here are the limitations, I think it actually does a pretty good job of forcing you to experiment and to try different combinations. How many uh, party combinations do you think there are in this game? There are 23 jobs total. There are four characters. Guess. How many usable ones or how many? How many in total? Job? Look, if we're if we're including usable, then I guess everyone can make four thieves and call it a day. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, I mean, what's 23 to the power of four? Just take a guess. Uh, you can laugh at how bad you're guessing is. 32,000? 30, th- 14,950 different party configurations. That wasn't bad. I was off by one power, basically. Yeah, you're off by about 18,000, which I'll count as close for the purposes of this exercise. One one power. Anyway, the point is, point is, this job system objectively works better than the one from two. Granted, not much of a comparison because, as we've discussed in our previous episodes, two's battle system is not good. <laughs> Whereas uh, Final Fantasy III's, it's functional. It's usable. I like a bunch of the classes in it. Hmm. It's also the first instance of uh, characters having unique battle commands, like summon, throw, jump. That's cool. Sure. I mentioned the Dragoon specifically because the Dragoon is great in Final Fantasy III. I love it. I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. What's your current party that you're rocking? I have a freelancer, a warrior, I have a scholar, and I have whatever the heck Angus can hold his own as sometimes a monk, sometimes a red mage, but Ingus is a mess. How did Final Fantasy III actually come to be? Like, who instilled this job system? Who are we talking here? So the development team for Final Fantasy III is much the same as the previous two games. Hironobu Sakaguchi's directing. Um, Hiromichi Tanaka's the lead designer. Yoshitaka Amano's designing the character art. Nobuo Amatsu is composing. Uh, Nasir Jabeli's also programming, which... As a reminder, Jabeli's work visa expired halfway through development, and he had to go back to California. So mm. the development staff had to go to Sacramento in order to finish the game. This is pretty much the same team throughout, the, throughout this era. That's kind of what makes it more interesting that the games change now and again. Like, the clear inspiration for Final Fantasy III is, as I said, Dragon Quest in terms of the job system. Yeah. Whether it was as successful, well, to be clear... The first time a Final Fantasy outsold a Dragon Quest game was when Final Fantasy VII came out. And Dragon Quest III was extremely popular. So in this era, Final Fantasy is playing second fiddle to Enix's mega popular Dragon Quest game. Hmm. Interesting. That's what happens when you have Akira Toriyama behind it. 
Sure. At the height of its popularity. The clear outlier in these first three games is Final Fantasy 2. Oh, yeah. Definitely the outlier. Like in, in plot and theme and tone, like one and three really go together like easily, seamlessly. They, in some ways, even read like the same game. Mm-hmm. Two is such a different game. Yeah. Two is what happens when one developer whispers in Sakaguchi's ear, let's change everything (laughs) and sakaguchi listens to him and then they're like okay you're gonna go develop the saga series now (laughs) and you're never touching a mainline final fantasy title again or in this case over a decade i'm gonna go to bat for that guy at some point so this game is in development in what year uh it was developed between 1988 released in 1990 okay and that was like just one year or two years after two two years after two this has more development time than final fantasy 2 did because final fantasy 2 came out a year after final fantasy 1 did Mm. practically which makes it all the more impressive that they redesigned the entire thing for two and then they're like okay let's take our time with the third one now and try to go back to basics it's interesting because like you get these three mainline games within four years like that's that's wild you know you got a small team but they're also doing like you know drastically different games i I just find it very interesting how um they were able to work so efficiently Mm -hmm. smaller teams um smaller budgets compared to the they are one of the main things that smaller team also hurt the fact that Final Fantasy 3 wasn't released in North America or Europe until 2006, 2007, when the entire game was remade for the Nintendo DS. That's the one I'm playing, and it it feels like that might be a good time to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about the version differences um, from the DS and the NES versions. Let's dive into the plot as well. Okay. Welcome back to Choco Bros, a Final Fantasy journey. We just finished talking about a lot of the context for the game. Now we're going to get into the plot and mention some version differences. The year is 2004, and Square decides that we're going to remake Final Fantasy 3. It was originally going to be for the PlayStation 2, but Nintendo asked Square to instead make it for their new handheld console, Nintendo DS, and Square obliged. Obviously, the biggest difference is graphically, the game's in 3D now. There is color to the background instead of black nothing. It it is a breath of fresh air, I'll be honest. It looks all right, truth be told. And and the original game was never released in English, right? There are fan translations of it out there, but I figured that it would be better off to stick with the version that North American audiences played for the first time, which has a lot of differences. Namely, the characters have names. And backstories kind of. and personalities. Ish. The original game was more like Final Fantasy One in that regard, where it was just four characters that you named, and they're like, "Oh, they have no backstory. They're going out on an adventure to save the crystals and save the world." The new version, well, we have Luneth, Ark, Refia, and Ingus. In the new version, they do a fair bit to introduce these characters and to make them at least to give them a starting point. Ingus is a knight in a castle who aspires to become a, a red mage and to, uh, you know, you know, d- deliver his kingdom. The main character, Luneth, 
is kind of your classic protagonist. The girl is, uh, you know, locked into a destiny she's not thrilled with, and she would prefer to go adventuring than to stay home. There are some, like, some good starting points to these characters. And throughout the first area, it's actually a pretty compelling story. I really enjoy the first area. I guess we should probably talk about the plot here. Yeah. Lewis, okay. what is the plot to Final Fantasy III? So, in the original game, you all start off in a dungeon. And by that, I mean you fell down a hole, the four of you, and you have to get your way out of it, and then get past the first area. In the DS game, it's only the one character who ends up falling down this hole. It's this guy named Lunath. He's from the village of Ur. He's an orphan. He grew up there. And when he falls down, and here, here's the funny note. That, uh, that that I wrote, that, that I find is hilarious in retrospect. So he falls down this hole, he battles his way out, and he finds this crystal that says, others share your destiny, find them. And I got tinglies. I thought it was great. I even wrote in my book, this is great. I'm like, <laughs> I'm here for it. I don't know really what's going on, but I uh, I like the idea of you finding people whose fates are intertwined with yours. So then you go out and you find your first other party member whose name is Ark. Your friend. He's your friend. He's he's the classic, like, downtrodden, can't actually fight for himself character who's, like, you know, more of the bookish type. And here's the thing. Every character in Final Fantasy gets a trait in the new version. Poor Ark's trait is that he is short. That is it. <laughs> He gets made fun of for being short. He'll he could do anything. He could become the greatest maid on earth. And when you go to the other party members, the only thing they'll say is, "Man, do you think Ark is compensating for something?" Do you find that you relate to Ark in a lot of ways? <laughs> Listen, <to me. laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's hilarious though. It's his only character trait is that he's short. Uh. It's not a character. Anyway, you and Ark have to travel to this little town, figure out why all the residents have become ghosts. You know, basic RPG, start with a town, work to a country, work to a continent, etc. So you start with this town, and through a series of events, you end up uh, assuming Refia, who is the third party member, who's the orphan, but also daughter of a blacksmith, and Ingus who is a knight from the kingdom. He's the one knight that didn't get turned into a ghost. It's like, you know, it's a very simple starting quest, but the point is it gets the four of you together and that's your party for the whole game. Up until this point, the plot is okay. <laughs> and then... Kind of. Do we do we want to talk about Ur now or do we want to just go... Look, you mentioned first? that, so now we need to talk about Ur, this, <laughs> the starting village. I, I have a huge problem with Ur. There are a couple shops in Ur. There's everything that you could want. A weapon shop for anyone who wants weapons. There's a, an armor shop for anyone who wants armor. There's even an item shop for anyone who wants items. And there's a magic shop. And at the magic shop, this there's this one guy who's sitting there selling poisona, which heals poison. Mm-hmm. Useful spell. It is useful, but here's my problem. There are only four shops in Earth. For somebody to sustain themselves on a consistent income using the sale of a single spell that cures people from being poisoned, that's a bad look. This guy is in business. There's no system of government in Earth. It's just these old dudes with beards who are like, obvious thing, obvious thing, go. They live in this little house. And the crazy thing is, Preston, in this little house is a magical pond that heals you. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a guy in town 
who makes bank stopping people from being poisoned. If you've got a town, if you've got a store in a town that is making all their money on stopping people from being poisoned, shouldn't you be kind of concerned about how many people are getting poisoned and the frequency of which they're being poisoned? Like, uh, it's uh, like, I have a solution to this. I have a solution to this, by the way. Well, the solution is an actual form of government beside a bunch of guys with beards. Well, I think the guys with beards have implemented a form of universal basic income, which is allowing this guy to survive. Oh, so you think it's like less <laughs> Flint, Michigan and more like Andrew Yang's Flint, Michigan. Why would you go for that as your example? <laughs> Why? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Here on Choker Bros, we're going political. I mean, like, why Flint of all places? Because in Flint, the people are being poisoned by the water supply. Like, clearly that's what's happening here. Is it? Yeah, it has to I'm be. pretty sure. It, there are only like 30 people in this town. They must all be getting poisoned. This town has no infrastructure. They have no way of keeping their citizens safe. I never really expected when we did this podcast that... Or is Flint, Michigan would be a line that you would say or that anyone on this earth would ever discuss ever. Well, OK. No, I mean, it clearly, it clearly is. And my and here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Congratulations, Lewis, on this completely original thought that no one has ever made before. I, 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 I can't believe that. Like, it's such such a clear comparison. The, the other thing, of course, is that the leader of this town, Topapa, is supposed to be this elder. And everyone tells you, don't do anything before you've talked to Topapa. Topapa has the answers. And it's pretty clear why this town has fallen into disrepair or disrepair because of this guy. Because you ask him, okay, the crystal has told me that I must set out on a quest to save the world. Can you give me any more information? And you know what Topapa says? What does Topapa say? It seems like the crystal has chosen you. You must set off to save the world. That is it. He doesn't tell you anything at all. But then he leaves and people are like, oh, man, isn't Topapa great? He's clearly brainwashing everyone else in the town. He's not doing anything for them here. And yet you've got this happy little town that exists and is constantly poisoned. And it's just a blessing that you're able to get away from it at the start. Mm -hmm. You get to Kazus, which has been cursed by a genie. Hmm. You go through these missions to find the genie and return Kazus and Castle Session to its former glory. So you've now saved the tutorial area. Well done. Then you meet uh, Safari Santa Claus, who has an airship, <laughs> needs to get back to his wife. Also known as Sid. <laughs> the only way to get out of the tutorial system or the tutorial area is to blast through a boulder with an airship. <laughs> Airships, which are... <laughs> Famous for flying. <laughs> now, does does he blast through it with like a cannon, Lewis? No, you literally just fly it into the bolt. Like you fly it into a boulder. Like you can't leave this area without flying a, a, a boat into a boulder. <laughs> Which just turn your brain off. It's fine. It's funny. The ship is, of course, pretty banged up afterwards which means you have to actually do stuff before you're allowed to use the airship again. Nice of them to give it to you so early in the game, because in Final Fantasy 2, uh, you get the airship like as an afterthought at the end of the game. It's k- kind of kind of BS, honestly. You end up helping Sid find his wife. Then you give an extremely valuable resource to his wife in order to heal her, which like 
you know, real question mark as to whether or not that was necessary. But following with Safari Santa, he decides you've been nice, so he gives you a bunch of presents. When you get to uh, Safari Santa Claus's town, you meet this girl who's in a bed. She's very upset. Her boyfriend has left. His name is Dash. So, so I, I find the character, this, this girl named Selena, I find her really funny because her whole thing is, I can't get out of bed. Dash, my boyfriend, has left. So you have to find Dash, who's lost all of his memories. Classic. The, three, the, the now five of you escape from Bahamut. And you go on a series of quests in which you help out the Vikings, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You meet the gnomes, which is pretty cool. Little thing that I'd like to mention here. I do. <laughs> okay. Two things I'm mentioning, but I'm sticking to my original point first. I kind of, I actually do find it fun that you have to use the mini spell to shrink yourself down to go through certain dungeons. That is pretty fun, but this it's a little, a neat concept. it's a little annoying. And the fact, and the fact that you need to um, then use magic as your main form of attack, because obviously since you're way smaller, your physical attacks aren't doing as much. That's a nice, that's a neat concept. I like that. And the second thing I want to point on is why are you pronouncing his name like that? The reason you have to shrink yourself in order to get into these places is first of all, it makes sense. When you visit the gnomes, they're super small. So in order to visit their town, you have to shrink yourself. This also means because you have to then use magic when you're fighting things that you actually have to utilize the class system. It's a really good way that the battle system isn't just there. It's also part of the game. Question. Did you stick one character as freelancer that entire time you were small? I did. Okay. Yeah. Figured. I I got Luneth up to like level 60 as a freelancer. It was great. Yeah, so, <laughs> I was like, it's nice that you're saying all these things, but I know for a fact you kept one character on Freelancer the entire time. Because he can use magic. <sighs> I don't know. I Again, I really like the classes. They did revamp the job system for the DS remake because in the original Famicom version, half, like really half the classes weren't usable at all. Geomancer was completely useless. Like, do not pick it. I mean, it's better than Final Fantasy 1, which ostensibly had six classes, which you had to lock into at the start of the game, three of which were useless. So one one little um, thing I want to say about version differences right now that I'm sure you don't know, but you will definitely appreciate. You ever run away from a battle? Oh, yeah, you, you actually can in this one. Oh, yeah. Do you want to know how run run worked in the original version? I, I assume it, it didn't. So Oh, no, you could run away. But if you use the run command, it reduced your character's uh-huh. defense to zero until their next turn. Oh. And if it failed. Oh, that's that's neat. No one liked it. So they got rid of it. <laughs> it kind of makes it does make some sense. Because it was an extremely easy way to get your uh, party wiped. Yeah, it does make some sense. Like, it is a risk in that sense. In this game, if you want to run, typically you can. You, you go through the village of gnomes. You meet the Vikings. The Vikings are very upset because they've basically lost control of the waves. Um, they've lost control of the the sea. There's this dragon, this this uh, leviathan-type figure. I believe it's the Nepto dragon. That's the Nepto dragon, yeah. That is the Nepto Dragon, correct? They basically have to figure out why is the Nepto Dragon losing its mind. He's been a really nice Nepto Dragon for years, and now, just now, he decides to go nuts. Um, but you find out that the his little his little temple has been uh, defiled. He's he's missing an eye. You have to shrink down, go through the tunnel, in order to find this rat that has stolen the eye. And then when you return the eye to the statue, 
it calms the dragons down and the vikings go yeah you know what we've actually been put off sailing so here's our boat yeah it's like actually in retrospect being on the water sucks have our ship the the fast traveling in this game starts off really rough it's very much like two in that there's a lot of encounters it really slows down your progress and when you don't know where to go it can become like just soul crushing you return to safari santa's hometown and you meet desh's uh desh's boo who is still lying in bed selena and she basically sees him and she says oh you've got to do what you've got to do <laughs> and she stays in bed she doesn't get out it doesn't fix anything uh, i think desh feels horrible about it this desh character needs to find his memories and thankfully you find his memories in this tower of owen you battle all the way to the top and then he goes oh yeah i helped create this me and my father we're both ancients and now i'm going to jump into the furnace to kill myself and repair it question mark it's a great scene it is it's a little the party does ask him not to but he's <laughs> like gotta do it i gotta jump to this furnace so i think that him throwing himself in the furnace was in his way of trying to free selena of these this clearly toxic relationship it's very noble but i don't actually think it does anything to fix the furnace i think it's fine for, for the record selena doesn't actually you know heal or anything like that you go back there and you find out that she's basically just freeloading and using dash as an excuse to never get out of bed (laughs) (laughs) so there are a couple other little fun areas in this main in this main kind of continent i don't know if you want to to talk about any more of them well you could keep going okay you're the one who's played it most recently than i have because my memories of this game are forever stained by something which we will not be discussing this episode yeah i i'll be honest i i kind of am sad that you're not playing through this game again there are some there are some ways this game is really good yeah there's a reason why i'm not there is a very big reason why i am not (laughs) you found one crystal but now you got to find the second so you head to dwarven hollows this is kind of the most bizarre sequence in the game the dwarves are pretty upset because this dude has stolen one of their ice horns. They have two, though. It's okay. He only stole one of them. First of all, the guy's name is uh, Gutsko, the rogue. Gutsko. So you have to find Gutsko, the rogue. God. Okay, stop with the pronunci- pronouncing <laughs> names like that. So, <laughs> or I'm going to stage a revolt. <laughs> so the thing is, is you have to all turn into toads now. Mini is not good enough. You have to g- turn into toads in order to defeat him. What's funny is you also have to turn into toads to get into the tower up north, which I, I'm not sure why I, there, there are so many places. I'll just roll with only, it. Okay. You have to turn into toads in order to track this dude down. You get this fang and you travel back and there's this shadow that's so conspicuously following you. It's hilarious. And you, the whole time you're just like, God, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. So, of course, you go to put the horn back on this table. They bring down the barrier. And, of course, Gutsko the Rogue steals both horns, which is now it's actually a problem. Yeah. So you now have to defeat him again. This is actually kind of a tough battle. And one of the things I love about this game is it is actually tough. Some games you don't have to use items. This game, you do. Like, it, there's no use keeping them because you're not going to get anywhere if you don't actually utilize everything at your disposal. You actually do defeat him. That's great. 
you get the light of the fire crystal, and now you have access to a bunch of different jobs. You already had the first six. I think now you have like 12 or something like that. There's one last place you go in this, and this is my this is one of my favorite parts of the game because it's so funny. Is this Tokul? Tokul is a village in ruins. This is the first part of the game where it's actually like, oh yeah, this is bad. Something bad happened here. The rest of the game is like, ah, mischief trying to be mischief. This is like, oh, no, no, no. Like, they've taken everybody. Mm -hmm. This city is in disrepair. This is a real quest. Thank God we've been fighting these mischief makers because we finally got a real enemy. You have to go into this floating tree. You actually get captured um, by this evil guy named Hein. Kidnapped. Hein. You have to... You have to go and defeat this guy, Hein, at the top of the Elder Tree, which is floating about. It's lost its mind. This is a really tough area. This is the first part of the game where I was like, man, do I have to backtrack and, like, load an earlier save in order to, like, actually, like, grind and get up to this? It was really tough to beat this dude. And one hmm. of the... Uh, how does the save system work, by the way? Well, whenever you're in the main area, like, it's, it works like most other Final Fantasy games. If you're on the world map, you can save at, at will. Mm-hmm. Have you encountered the save point in the dungeon yet? No. Okay. Just make a note of this. This is It's really tough. And the other thing is there aren't a lot of ways to revive your people. So suffice it to say, I got to that fight. I had no items. I had nothing. I was like on the edge of my kind of... I, I, I tried it a few times and then finally broke through. It was really, really tough. One of the reasons the battle was so hard <laughs> is because... It really encourages you use scholar, which is what which is a job. So I replaced my white mage with a scholar class. Namely, I got rid of something that could heal, and I added something that could tell me the weakness of an enemy, which I guess is kind of handy because the weakness of buddy changes a fair bit. It's actually a good battle. The problem is the scholar class is not that helpful. So to have one of my four party members be a total zero during this battle... I, I basically had to rely on these spells that I'd found, these like one use spells that I found, in order to knock him down whenever I could. And the whole way, Ingus, who is just like an absolute wreck of a character. You don't get a lot of Phoenix Downs in this game. I used every Phoenix Down on Ingus pretty well. <laughs> pretty much everyone. He just will not he will not stay up. You really don't like Ingus, do you? His whole thing is he wants to be a red mage. Sounds great. I'm going to really try to make you a red mage. I don't know if it's just the class or not, but when you're a red mage, you can't attack as strong as anyone. You can't do magic as strong as anyone. You're not as defensive as anybody. You go down immediately. Maybe there's just a way I'm not playing it, but God, it's awful. The reason I find this last plot point kind of funny is because when you go back to Takul later, after you've defeated it, the town is in just as much disrepair. Nothing's changed. They know how to make towns look a little bit better, a little bit worse. But yeah, it's it's hilarious. They're like, thanks. And you're like, okay, are you going to start fixing up your town again? And they're like, no, thanks. And you're like, well, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then once that happens, you go to Sid and Sid goes, yeah, it turns out that there's this whole plot about you all being orphans. Surprise. And you all coming from a different place. You need to take my airship. Yep, airship's back and working. Got to take the airship and 
go out and explore the big world. And that's kind of where I left it. Mm-hmm. You just got to, uh, you just got away from the flying continent and you're about to explore the surface world. I am. Do you want to take a quick break and then we can talk a little bit about what worked, what didn't, the plot, all that good stuff? Yeah. Let's take a little break. We'll be right back. Okay, so we are back with Choco Bros, a Final Fantasy podcast. I hope that you got through the plot like we did. Preston, what works, what doesn't? Where do we go from here? Honestly, I look at like the first half of Final Fantasy 3 and my gut reaction is, you know, it's all right. Like, I don't dislike <laughs> it as much as I did uh, 2. I think the characters, I, honestly, I would prefer if these characters were blank slates. Let's be perfectly clear here. I wish they were blank slates. They are. <laughs> you wish they were. They are blank slates. There's nothing. Th- okay. I've made a list of their character traits. Are you ready for this? Okay. Is Ark short? Ark is short. Refia is a girl. Luneth is mysteriously motivated. And Ingus sucks. Done. Honestly, that's my problem with it. I would prefer they were blank slates because they just have the slightest veneer of personality to them. Just the slightest, like, coating of character on them, which makes it obvious that they're not really good characters. And I would just prefer if they were completely blank slates who were exploring the world by comparison. Okay. Okay. So, so I have an idea for a running segment. And I want to try it out now. I'm springing this on you. We're going to do a fantasy draft of all of the main characters in the first three games of the series. No, we're not doing a fantasy draft of the first of all the main characters of the first three games of the series. No, we're not. You have have, uh, basically eight characters to choose from. You have the four from this game. You have the three from the last game. And you have the warrior of light from the first game. Okay, do I get first pick? You get first pick. We'll do a story of light from the first game. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, well, what's what's your what's your rationale? <sighs> I like the fact that they don't have the thinnest of character personalities. Okay, so you would rather n- And also I'm making them a uh, knight and that's useful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that that that's that that's probably pretty good. I I'm going to choose Huh. Do I get the second and third choice or do I do it? Are we just doing one, 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 one? We're going back. Um, we're doing one, one, one. Damn it. Okay. Uh, oh, man. In that case, I'm going to pick Refia. Okay. Because I feel like I need one of the two female characters in my party. And she has been by far and away the most helpful character in the uh, in, in this game. She's just better than every other character. Okay. My pick now? Yep guy talks to beavers damn it oh Instant guy pick. was gonna be my next one because that like what if you meet a beaver and you just have like no way of talking to it right? i can't believe we're actually doing a fantasy draft for this when honestly the only character that i have any enthusiasm for is warrior of light okay well fine but here's my second pick this is okay. this is this is a this is a dark dark horse here but you might be wondering lewis why did you need a female in your party I was not wondering that Number two pick, of course, Furion. 
I want my party to be as awkward as possible. Okay, I got you. Refia is a strong, driven woman who wants to make something with her life. Furion has no idea how to handle that. So I think I've got a pretty solid one, too. They're also both useful in combat. Who's your number three? Uh, My number three will be Ark. This is bullshit, man. I was going to have Ark next. Okay. Why Ark? No, I'm picking Ark because um, having short friends is fun. Hey, just, I appreciate you saying that because uh, you know none of my friends are uh, are uh, shorter than I am. So there's that. Yeah, actually, <laughs> fact. I know most of Lewis's friends. Literally, <laughs> it actually doesn't say as much. And as you're you not think particularly it would. short either. That is that is the kindest thing anyone has ever said to me. Personally. I'm just going to make fun of your height for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, welcome to Final Fantasy III. Am I right? Uh, my, my third draft pick is Luna. It's got to be Luna. All right. Because he's actually pretty useful. He seems pretty go-gettery. And he's a way better leader than any other character in any okay. of these first three games. Gotcha. Okay. My final pick? Don't do it. Maria. God. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fine. There's one of reason course. why I've picked Maria. Uh, yeah, I know what the reason is, too. Oh, what is it? She's not Ingus. <laughs> well, no, I thought the idea of you having Ingus was funnier than any other option. <laughs> and it's Maria. Wait, I mean, I really should have chosen Maria because then I would have been picking sitting Furion with Refia and Maria. I mean, at that point, not only are we actually passing the Beshel test in one of these games, but we're also putting Furion in, in what I can only assume is hell. No, you can't do that. You won't be passing the Bechdel deck. Wouldn't I? No, you won't, because all Maria will do is talk about her brother. Okay, well, what happens What happens if Refia starts talking about how she doesn't want to go back to her hometown? To Maria. Maria will find a way to, to insert her brother into the conversation for no reason. Hmm. Well, we'd be close, at least. I, I <laughs> guess. So I guess my party, then, is uh, Furion, Luneth, uh, Refia, and Ingus. And mine is Warrior of Light, um, Guy, Ark, and Maria. So you, you, th- this is crazy. I got. I basically just swapped out. Um, I basically just swapped out Ark for Furion, and I've got the cast of Final Fantasy three. Yeah, that and you, you also picked first, which is which, just, which just is your garbage. fault for making me do that. <laughs> this is entirely on you. Are we saying that after the, the first of- pick, I was just memeing? Are we, but well, but here's the thing: you had the first pick for each round, and you picked mostly the cast of Final Fantasy two. So does that mean the cast of Final Fantasy two is better? No, it just means that your party is funnier to me. <laughs> Tune in next time when we add all of the side <laughs> characters, and Preston inexplicably chooses Minru first. Let's <laughs> push it back to Final Fantasy three for a moment. Sure. So what doesn't work in this original game for you besides the characters being flat? Or what works? Okay. I mentioned Dragon Quest three earlier this episode. I do prefer Dragon Quest three's job system to Final Fantasy three's, but that said, I'm still okay with Final Fantasy three. I think it's a fun little system. Job systems are, it's really hard to do them poorly, I find. Mm, sure. And despite the fact that, well, one of the big changes to the DS version was that they rebalanced every almost every single job. Bards are still pretty bad. 
no matter what. Um, Geomancer's still not that good. But hey, I've got Dark Knight Dragoon Rangers. I'm cool with that. Um, I think it's important to note that the job system doesn't really define your character build as much as it flavors it. So like... You don't have to start from scratch with every new job like you do with every new skill in Final Fantasy II. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. That, like that, that's a that's a huge part of it. Unfortunately, Lewis, you're not going to be able to play one of the jobs in this game at all. One of the things that Final Fantasy III DS added was Mognet, which was a feature on the Nintendo DS that lets you trade friend codes and send letters to other people via Wi-Fi. Wait, is this okay? Wait, wait, wait. Is there is there actually a job that relates to Magnet? There's a unique quest in Magnet that leads to a secret job class called Onion Knight. What? Onion Knights were original were the original base class for characters in the Famicom version. Okay. Freelancer was only added to the DS version, and Onion Knight was made a secret class. So I knew that Onion Knight was like the original freelancer class, but. I, it blows my mind that this it annoyed me with Pokemon where it's like you have to trade your Pokemon to friends to level them up. It's bullshit. But with this game, like at least Magnet has nothing to do with any part of the gameplay. I thought. Yeah. Should we explain what Magnet is? I just explained <laughs> what Magnet is. It's a thing that lets you send letters to other people including people in game via Wi-Fi. So you meet these Moogles. There's one Moogle in every town. Which is never really explained. No one really acknowledges their presence. There's a decent chance that Moogles are entirely like a a mental construct of the main character. Regardless, you can go up to these Moogles and send mail, receive mail. Yeah, send mail to, uh, you know, dictatorial leader Topapa from Ur and uh, ask him how his day's going. He will respond exactly one time. He does send other letters in-game, however, past that. Do I have to send more letters in? The thing is... Is that to receive letters after the first one in the DS version, you have to send seven letters to other players, which you can no longer do because the DS Nintendo Wi-Fi connection service has been shut down since 2014. But you could get other letters from people if you sent a minimum of seven to other players. That's so Would you like me to read some for you? Well, I... I I mean, you might as well, because I will never see them otherwise. Okay. Let's, I will focus on one character's in-game letters. How about that? Sure. So, Papa. Finished poisoning the town. A traveling merchant came to Ur the other day. He was riding a chocobo. They're fine steeds indeed. From Topapa. Huh. Okay. Cool. Recently, the children have started to play further and further away from Ur. While I praise their adventurous spirits, I worry it will lead them to trouble. From Topapa. <laughs> like getting poisoned? The children have not come back from their recent exploration trip. We have searched as far from her as we dared, but could not find them. From Topapa. <laughs> this is great. What a useless character. <laughs> though, incidentally, though, incidentally, that is the, once you get that last letter, that's how you get the Onion Knight side quest. Oh, that. So this is really cool because in the original game, it's not just like Luneth who travels out by himself. I think as we said, it's like all four of you. So I wonder if that's kind of a, a, a nod to the original Final Fantasy. Maybe, though in the side quest for Onion Knight, you do rescue children <laughs> in a cave. Okay. so That's cool, I guess. There is that. The children do exist. They aren't just a reference to the 
previous version of the game. I mean, I, I find it I kind of f- find it kind of endearing that Topapa finally cares enough about the citizens of Ur to 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 write you a letter about it. Yeah, like how long does the letter <laughs> take to arrive? It's been three weeks. Please yeah. help find the children. Yeah, they've been gone for a little while, uh, but we gave them half a loaf of bread, you know, last fortnight. So I'm sure they're fine. But you know, when you can. Come on back. We're all poisoned again, but thankfully we got a guy in town. You know him. Anyway. The other things that you get from Magna, just as a reference, there's a quest to obtain the Ultima weapon. What? A prototypical <laughs> what? Um, weapon in Final what, Fantasy what you, games. What do you mean? These are all... What's going on? This is a thing? Ultima weapon uh, wasn't a weapon in the original game. They just added it because with the remake, they added some things. In this case, this... But you can't get it? Uh, no, you need to have Nintendo Wi-Fi connection in order to get it. And that's what? been gone for years on the DS version. You'd have to use, like, the PC version for it. Uh, also, the game's bonus dungeon okay. is only unlockable via Magnet. You know what? I didn't even want to play the bonus dungeon. Didn't <laughs> want to do it. I got enough floating trees for a, for a lifetime. Uh, that's all I need. Good floating tree. Good old floating Good trees. Yes, sir. <laughs> So, Lewis, what have, what do you like about the game so far? I like the job system. I also like the fact you need to use items. The items are useful, and they're necessary for a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Something's got to keep Angus alive. <laughs> Something's got to bring him back from the dead. Yeah. I, well, I mean, this is the thing. Like, Besides him being like a super flimsy character, no matter what I try, the game is actually really well balanced to be challenging, but not impossible. The items really help with that. The jobs really help with that. Like, gameplay-wise, this is by far and away the best of the first three. Like, without even a shred of hesitation, gameplay is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah. On the other hand, the main characters are one-trick ponies. The plot is also kind of hilarious. Because while, while everybody is telling you the world is in disrepair and just being destroyed and needs saving... Yeah, the first half of the game, that doesn't really manifest a lot. No, and like... In a couple of places, it does. Medusa in the tower, just before Desh um, throws himself into the furnace. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just before uh, Desh decides he'd rather be dead than spend another second with Selena. Um, (laughs) You fight Medusa. So there's that. But at the end of the day, like, Medusa's like a a troublemaker. And uh, our our buddy there, uh, Gutsko the Rogue, is is basically a troublemaker. It's it's not like 2. Like, in 2, wherever you go, there's, like, mayhem and destruction. Like, it it doesn't need to explain it to you over and over that it's, like, the world is being destroyed. In this, everybody says, oh, the world's being destroyed and needs heroes. But you don't see it anywhere. And so that... It really kind of falls flat in that way. That's that's particularly true of the first half of the game. The second half, as you will discover, I think that changes a lot, where the overarching plot really comes to the forefront, whether that's good or bad. Well, for me, it's medium, like <laughs> middle of the road. I'm starting to realize you have no opinion of these first three games. <laughs> look, look, let me be clear. Like, these aren't really... I'm hesitant to call any of them truly good is the thing. And with the exception of two, none of them are really you know, truly bad. Again, I, I think that every one of these games does something really well. But I also feel like I have real reason to go back and play two. 
and real reason to go back and play three. One is is fine, but I feel like it's mostly a nostalgia uh, thing. One's fine. Two's yeah. Three's fine. I, I like the game. I think the game plays really good. Yeah, the, it does play really well. And I played this game originally right when it came out because thirteen year old me sees new Final Fantasy. He's like, oh hell yeah, got to play a new Final Fantasy. This is the third one. Just to get into my mindset of thirteen year old Preston for just a brief moment, like playing this game, like. He's having fun, um, like, experimenting with the job system. The story's, like, whatever, but he j- had played, like, one and two a little while ago and was mm-hmm. and could tolerate mm-hmm. those. So, you know, he could tolerate this as well. He's a bit frustrated by the fact that the only way he can save is outdoors. Like, some of those dungeons are long. I, I understand this is going to become, like, a big problem in a, in a little while. Yeah, and he's playing it, but, you know, it's fine. And then mm-hmm. you get to the final 10% of the game. Listen, man, we're going to discuss that next episode, and I am optimistic. I don't. I like me a good dungeon. Do you? you <laughs> he thinks it's good. <laughs> oh, you think I, it's good? That's adorable. Know, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. I've been told I can't use save states in that final dungeon. You can. So. You cannot because you need to recreate the um, experience of playing through this game normally. I'll just say this: this is just a preview for the next episode. But the final dungeon of Final Fantasy III ranks among the worst dungeons in any RPG I've ever played. Anyway, you want to uh, you want to put a put a bow on this and uh, send it off yeah. to next time? Yeah, let's let's finish Final Fantasy three next episode. Good luck, Lewis. You will need it. So we're back with Choco Bros: A Final Fantasy Journey. Preston, do you have anything else you want to add about the game before we move on to part two? Listen, I'm spending all the energy I have tensing up for that part too, man. I'm extremely looking forward to what you have to experience. And knowing you, it's going to completely go against my and a lot of other people's expectations. I I actually think that the game's okay. I think that the plot is pretty bad, but... It's it's the best of the NES era, in my opinion. I, I, I disagree to this point, although, again, the plot of 2 was really good until halfway through. Maybe the plot of this yeah. will get better. But overall, I'm really enjoying it because the gameplay is super smooth and super fun. And mm-hmm. if you just want to kind of enjoy an old-school RPG, then the gameplay is certainly enough to kind of keep this ball rolling for you. I would argue that this is the first this is the time when final fantasy becomes final fantasy for one reason and one reason only moogles this is the first time blue menus are in the game as a default blue menus yeah you know when you play a final fantasy game and all the menus are blue naturally so i'll be honest i didn't realize that that was a thing and then when i was playing final fantasy 9 I realized you can make the menu blue because it, it defaults as like a slate gray, but you can make it blue. Yeah. And I did. And I'm like, oh, this game feels so much more like Final Fantasy now. Didn't even realize. Huh? Yeah. That's cool. It's all the little things. And there's a bunch of other reasons why this Final Fantasy feels like the first proper Final Fantasy, like stylistically. But I, blue I, menus. I feel like I feel like this was kind of like if Final Fantasy one was a Final Fantasy game, it would be this one. Yeah, really? Like, 
a lot of the elements are there. You're starting to get like the first jobs. You've got like the fir- like crystals become a major thing. Chocobos, 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 Moogles, Sid, yeah, airships. It feels classic Final Fantasy in a way that Final Fantasy, especially because Final Fantasy One feels like just a classic fantasy. It feels like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, which admittedly is kind of what it's based on in a roundabout way. Which is, is just a bunch of tropes. Yeah. Of, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. That's all for the third episode of Chocobros, a Final Fantasy journey. We hope you'll tune in next month when we conclude our look at Final Fantasy 3. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends. And as always, if you didn't, keep it to yourself. One day we might set up a Facebook live stream for this event while pretending all of their moral misdemeanors and ethical felonies don't actually exist. In all seriousness, please share the podcast and let us know what you think about it. Find us on Twitter at Chocobros Podcast and wherever podcasts exist. I'm Lewis, and now that they've killed Magnet, I'll be sending you exactly one message from now until the end of time, so you'd better love it. I'm Preston, and I'm sorry to say that my Wi-Fi no longer works, so I probably won't get it. And this is Chocobros. I'll be right back. You might want to not record this because you're just going to get silence on my end. Yeah, I can still have fun. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. I will be back shortly. Excellent. You're all alone now.
Yeah, he just went jamming up. 